well, here's the mistakes that the agents and the police made that I think, again, made this just the perfect murder for everybody to still be talking about all these years later about him being innocent. So, like we said, they did not seal off the crime scene. 26 people were all over it. Oh, here it is. The ambulance driver stole McDonald's wallet. They lost the blue fiber under Kristen's fingernail, a piece of skin beneath one of Colette's nails. They turned over Colette's body and moved the pajama top. And even the Esquire magazine that had 18 similarities from the Manson murders wasn't realized until several agents had been flipping through the pages for days. Uh, they hoped for a confession to cover their mistakes, but seven weeks later, they were advised um, McDonald's of his rights. He didn't confess. He agreed to a polygraph test, but then he uh, changed his mind, and that's when they put him under armed guard. So also on messing with the crime scene, I believe it was the photographer um, had to wait around in the flower pot that you had talked about that was on his side. He actually yeah. made it upright, yeah. and there's a picture of that. The phone, someone put the phone back on the, um, what do you call that? Receiver. <laughs> what was that called back then? <laughs> the receiver. That landline situation. <laughs> so I guess in the military, they do Article 32s is what they're called. And all the mistakes kicked off, you know, a series of events that caused a lot of confusion, a lot of problems for the prosecutors. So first, it has to be said that McDonald really freaked people out. And the reason why, I mean, his own lawyer, is he had a total lack of affect when he would describe the murders. No emotion whatsoever. And Seagal, his first attorney, um, was so disturbed by his lack of emotion, that he had a psychiatrist eval evaluate him. Now, this is weird. His conclusions were that he had, quote, possibly some latent homosexual conflicts and some narcissistic need to be famous or infamous. He did say that he was, quote, fairly certain McDonald hadn't killed his family, and that became the centerpiece of his defense. Homosexual what the heck is he talking about? A couple of psychiatrists and psychologists that evaluated him. In the 60s and 70s, though, they went straight to that if you acted out of the norm. Uh, I was wondering because he definitely liked women. So I thought, well, maybe he liked both. In the 70s, I heard that a lot. Yeah, and there's a very interesting story when he was a teenager mm -hmm. that I immediately thought, oh, there's some weird stuff happening there. Do tell. So, um, uh, uh, man, woman, and son had came to visit, like the, his, Jeffrey McDonald's parents didn't even meet this couple and immediately liked Jeffrey and his brother, Jay, his older brother, Jay. Um, they had dinner, they went out and had dinner. Then they offered Jeffrey to come in and stay with, or offered Jeffrey, they lived in Texas, offered to, for him to come and stay with them a couple of weeks. He ended up, he was in high school. Um, he ended up going, not during a holiday, um, stayed, was supposed to stay a couple of weeks, ended up staying for a couple of months. Him and the 
father were very attached, were very close. And it was kind of a weird relationship according to the wife. And, or did she say, I felt he was getting too close. I don't know. There was some, there was a weird comment she made. And then there was starting to be some issues with the son and Jeffrey. Mm. And he yeah. was there for yeah. months. So maybe he was bisexual. Cause I mean, we know he definitely loved women too. Or was he covering up? Because, you know, back in that day, that was a huge deal. I feel like he was covering up because every single time he talked, he always immediately started going to his sex life. It was weird. That's the only thing that ever came out. You would think more would come out if he was with men. Back then? I I don't know. Because it was even, it was illegal back then still. Well, now, years later, and they, yeah, would think so. relationships yeah maybe but definitely a narcissist and it it wouldn't surprise me if he had a high psychopath level two on the scale he never had it showed any emotion ever Mm -mm. well actually he did on weird things it wasn't about the the murders though yeah he had um i'll find it here i highlighted it because there was a couple of times but this last one i thought was so weird how um it was during the grand jury possible whatever to see if they were going to go ahead and start the trial but he was fine the whole time he was angry but fine the whole time and then would start sobbing about something that's like why are you crying about that you never cry about your family but you're crying about that well you know he did that interview with that late night talk show host and um yep and it freaked out one of the helpers that was her job and she's like he did it yeah and he even laughed and said well that interview is what sparked freddie as well to really amp up his um efforts and then the police decided to look at it again because of the way he was acting now initially he did with the parents he did one with the parents i never saw or heard of that one but the one he the one he did Freddie knew he was lying about stuff and Freddie Kassab at first thought he was innocent. There was no way. In fact, the parents knew him before Colette knew him, I believe. And they really liked him. And I've got some pictures of that put on the Instagram of like the mother dancing with him. Uh, You know, it just, she was pretty too. Um, uh, Junior high, he would start to come over to the house and yeah things like yeah. that. And he, he even said, if I ever had another daughter, I'd still want the same son-in-law. They were absolutely broken by the murders. Mm-hmm. And Kassab funneled his grief into finding the killers. And he put up a $5,000 reward for information leading to the rest of the murders. And it's here that the now infamous Helena Stokely came into the picture. And what we know, especially from Wilderness of Error, so there's Helena Stokely, is that um, the cop, one of the cops, like Helena was around a lot that area. And they here's the skin. Yeah, they knew her. And so I, it wouldn't surprise me if Jeffrey McDonald had seen her. And possibly yeah. even that night. You know what I mean? So that, that whole thing from the start... Um, I could see how she would have been the scapegoat. And then here's Freddie and uh, Mrs. Uh, Kassab. 
here's um, Jeffrey and Colette's wedding day. And then I found this picture of them when they were both really young. You know, but she, that Helena admitted that she'd been in the house and that happened, but it was foggy. She went back and forth. A lot. A but lot. If you look at all the time she said that, she was being paid money. Mm -hmm. So we'll... <laughs> We'll get to more of that in a bit, but a 22-year-old delivery man named William Posey said that he noticed his neighbor's car pull in at 4 a.m. the night of the murders when he was going to the bathroom. He saw the Mustang pull in and Helena with two to three males in the car. He said that Helena said two weeks later that she's going to have to leave town because police have been hassling her about the murders. She told them that the problem was she couldn't remember anything because she's so high on drugs, including LSD. Helena also wore blonde wigs and floppy hats regularly back to the murder murders. She never wore them again. Well, the CID, CID agents and especially Ivory, they already knew all about her. Yeah. At the time he called, they already knew. In fact, they'd already spoken with her and she said, uh, she hadn't said anything useful except that she no longer had the floppy hat or wig. So, you know, they, they paused on that, but she said she was sure she had never been in that house because she didn't even know where it was. Um, it was so unhelpful that Agent Ivory didn't even take notes. And the colonel presiding over Article 32 hearing, he did want more investigation into her and recommended that civilian authorities investigate her further and see if they can find out anything about her role. Um, I think that Posey just wanted the 5k and he fingered his weird spacey drug addicted neighbor as the one that that did it. But what do you think? So one of the interesting things about um, when they were interviewing her is that she they would ask her a question and for instance, you know, she would go, I don't know. Oh, okay. And he would just move on. Like he, she would just give an answer maybe if she felt like it and he would just move on. It was a very bad interview, very bad investigation to her. And y'all said it was the Cabot show, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. Dick Cabot. Okay. I wanted to um, play that in a minute. And on that, um, that one, and I'm sure you'll mention this, but um, one of the things that struck me was that he immediately went into his ordeal and what was going on with him. It was an I, I, I thing, which again, we've seen that with the other. Like not Chris Watt, I need to see them again. This house isn't the same, I, I, I. You can see Dick Cavett though in a few scenes. Yeah. Uh, totally, you could tell he, that that's yes. crap. Yes. He didn't believe him at all. So everything would have ended there. Um, there was no evidence that they could for sure say um, pin on McDonald. And I believe he would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for Freddie Kassab. Mm -hmm. So at this point, yes. Mr. Kassab was enraged with the army and its hounding of McDonald. I mean, he thought these people are ridiculous. And so what he did is he set out to get to the bottom of the ordeal to help his son-in-law. Well, and here's one thing about that I didn't know was that he, they were never told what happened. They had bare minimum information. They, Jeffrey McDonald wouldn't talk about it. It wasn't being reported, the details or anything. Yeah. 
So whenever he went to bat for him, it was based on the person he knew, not any details. Right. And after the Cavett show, that's when he actually got the details. And was well, like, it, but even before the Cavett show, something was starting to bother him. And it was a transcript because he had asked McDonald several times for the transcripts of the hearings. And of the murders. Right. And McDonald kept putting him off for months and assured him that he and some Green Beret buddies had tracked down one of the killers and put him, quote, six feet under. But Kassab wouldn't be put off. And so he finally got the transcripts. Now, in the meantime, McDonald immediately applied for an honorable discharge. He disposed of all of his family's possessions in a yard sale. He moved to New York. He began searching for a journalist to pay for his story while he socialized with Countess Christina Paolozzi. He also appeared on the Dick Cavett show, uh, making wisecracks, no emotion at all. And he was so disturbing that one lady told Cavett that he did it. And his searching for a journalist, get, getting someone to write his book would come to bite him in the you know what later. Um, but that's the book Fatal Vision. And the Wilderness of Error podcast, um, I don't know if it's called that. I think it might be what they go into that whole thing, how that journalist thought he was innocent and he was going to follow him around. And then he's like, the more he's around him, the more he sees things. He's like, man, this guy is as guilty as sin. And he didn't even tell Jeffrey he thought that. He just published the book. I think the main thing that made him think that is really when he went to his apartment in Newport. Mm -hmm. Found that stuff. They made a movie of that book too. So yeah, mm -hmm. it's called Fatal Vision. Mm -hmm. So another thing right before he could get the transcript and Kassab was still going to bat for him, still trying to investigate, find people, you know, find justice. He had met with um, um, a major mm -hmm. magazine, um, Jeffrey McDonald's attorney found out and behind Kassab's back demanded a fee to be made to Jeffrey McDonald for this interview. Um, Kassab was super excited about the interview or the newspaper because that he, they assured him that they had investigators on staff that would put FBI to shame. So he was excited to be able to properly investigate and find the people who murdered their family. McDonald was like, huh, huh, because he taped every conversation. Um, and he did that way before this too, by the way. But um, he, Which Jeffrey McDonald, the dead. yeah, real smart of the dead. Jeffrey McDonald immediately called his attorneys. Within minutes, the attorney immediately called Kassab, told him to cease all interviews. It's like, and again, part of it was for money. They felt Jeffrey should have been um, paid money, but also, why would you stop? investigation if you were that worried and concerned about finding the people who killed then after he told them that they took care of one of the murders it's like okay what are we in rambo i mean what the hell and so it, he's like looking for reports of some you know dude that was murdered and you know disappeared so he couldn't find anything i think he even called some people I think a lot was his ego too because a green beret he mentioned that many times in interviews that he was a green beret so I think his ego is oh we'll find it and we'll take care of it so part of the killing of one of the individuals he supposedly had broke his hand 
Well, he didn't know he was being under surveillance, but Kassab did. So Kassab made that phone call and he was like, no. That's right. Fully functioning, no medical bills that he claimed was $2,000. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Kassab, he gets the transcript and he goes over it with a fine tooth comb. And you know he, how hard that would be? Oh, uh, I don't see how they do it. But then on the love of a child or a parent or a sibling, it's just, you have to. Yeah, yeah. Right. And plus, um, one thing Elena found out is that they had already lost all of their daughters prior to Colette. So this was like a big deal. And she had, yeah, stillborn babies. Yeah. And then when Colette had her first daughter, she said, here is a daughter, one of the daughters you lost or something like that. So it, you know, she was a broken woman, I'm sure at this point. And so he's going to find the truth. He's not going to stop. And so he found things in there that couldn't be true. Like uh, McDonald said that he saw a blood bubble from Kimberly's chest, but the room was dark and she didn't have any chest wounds. That's why the knife couldn't have been in her chest. Right. Um, he also learned that there was no dead killer six feet under. And then the CID, CID agents weren't happy about things either. They had watched the Dave uh, or Dick Cabot show and decided to look over things again. So they're pissed off too. At that point, Kassab requests to view the crime scene. Because like Elena said, he'd never seen anything. He didn't know what happened. He found himself back at 545 Castle Drive going over the crime scene inch by inch. And when he left there, McDonald was his enemy. So let me um, let me bring up this interview that got him really upset. And I want to mention something about Kassab in the apartment. Somebody found something. <laughs> Public opinion. My next guest is Dr. Jeffrey McDonald. Yeah, you can see Dick Cavett's yeah. demeanor start to change. McDonald appeared on the popular late night program, The Dick Cavett Show. I hope this isn't too painful for you. Uh, where it became very clear McDonald was fast becoming his own worst enemy. Before bedtime, they were and watched the beginning of a late night talk show. Playing up the audience. Without handling himself. Dick Cavett remembers well the night he was McDonald. His affect is wrong, totally wrong. My affect was, uh, gee, find your wife and kids murder yeah. And even his answer to that was something like, hey, yeah, and that's something almost sound like Bob Hope. Very like Bob Hope. So the people in the army who wanted to court martial, regardless of any of them, I was angry. They were very critical, in fact. I know. I'm sure I was. Where are these investigators now who did the uh, original? Well, most of them have been transferred. It's the only way of handling things that someone really fouls up to you to give them a medal or you transfer That's when Dick Cavett started to change, I think. Colette's family was extremely disturbed by McDonald's appearance. Colette's older brother, Robert Stevens. I liked him. That was how his rights had been violated. I don't think he once mentioned about let's get the murderers. My family's been killed. But I remember him grinning like a Cheshire cat. Okay, so uh, so that that's um, like that same smile Chris Watts had. Yeah. The whole time he was talking, 
And, you know, like you said, you know, in the army, the way they handle things is you either get transferred or what do you say? Kicked out or something like that. Promoted. So, you know, he's going after them and now they're mad. And they're like, okay, we're going to go after you at this point. And they, I feel they knew he did it. It wasn't like, oh, you're going to diss us on TV. So we're going to make your life miserable. They just didn't know how to get this guy. And um, so with Kasab and the CID agents, it was on again. So um, when Kasab went to the apartment with several other agents, they were there for hours, I think at least seven or eight hours. And part of it was during the day and they wrestled around, they ran, you know, things were falling down like the cards. But then that evening, which I thought was so smart, they wanted the sun to go down to make it like, um, they had only the two lights on that he said, which was the bathroom for sure, maybe kitchen or hall. And where the couch was, like he lay down on the couch he had them come up where they supposedly were with Jeffrey McDonald. You could not make out anything because because of, of the lighting. And so there's no way he could have given details. And uh, so that's why he was so detailed is he wanted to look like he got a good look. Yet in that lighting, there's no way he would have had all those details. So it's and dark and you're in shock because you're being attacked. There's no way. Well, he did say that she had a flashlight. Yeah. On her face. Yeah. Which makes everything else around you darker. You wouldn't have been able to tell if it was a black man or not. This is what I remember. And there was one where he described had um, stripes. Sergeant stripes. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have been able to see those. Mm -hmm. Um, You wouldn't have been able to see if she was wearing boots to her knee or not. Um, So... And another interesting thing in one of the interviews that he gave, not interview, but when he was being investigated, questioned, he three times started to say, when I got up from the bed, he kept messing up the bed and the couch. Mm -hmm. So that tells me that there was an issue in the bedroom. That's where it all began. That's where it happened. So he was actually in bed in the bedroom and Colette came home. Possibly. Even if there was a little light, if you're frantic, you're not going to see those details anyway. Yeah. See, that's what I think too, because Colette asked in the psychology class about uh, um, what to do when you have a child that keeps sleeping in the bed. And then she explained that it was usually Jeffrey McDonald and uh, I think little Kristen, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's the one that ended up on the couch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the- wedding was a big issue she also asked him about that yeah Uh, but yeah I personally think that that I feel like that's what set him off something to do in the bedroom something to do with the baby and possibly the the pee well and I could see how that would bother her because he's already gone out on her lots and lots of times you know that as a wife the daughter being in the bedroom all the time is going to interfere with them being intimate. So that was probably something that was a big deal for her. She was trying to solve that issue because in her mind, she might've thought the reason he's going out all the time is they have like two daughters and home life is a little bit chaotic at times. And, you know, that she's just looking for a way to preserve her marriage. Or might've also been thinking with the fighting and him running around and they fought pretty often that it could be making the child wet the bed emotional 
That's it true. Something to protect the child, not the the man. Something else on like the relation that you talked about. So she was five months pregnant and he, in one of his interviews or questioning, he flat out said he was not attracted to her. She was five months pregnant and they weren't um, active at that time. So that's a good point. Yeah. He just didn't seem to be a very good husband. Yeah. He sucks. Okay. So McDonald moves. He's living the high life. He um, moved to Long Beach, California. He was an ER physician at St. Mary Medical Center. He had a yacht a marina front condo and many, many girlfriends. Which I thought they, it lived in Newport. Long Beach, California. Um, the CID discovered that he had lots of girlfriends for a long time. They also discovered that their marriage was not in a good place. At the time, get this, he had 15 girlfriends. Not only that, you mean 15 girlfriends when they were married or when he was in Long Beach? No, at the time that he killed his wife, he had 15 girlfriends and he had seduced many of them on training missions and Colette knew about the affairs according to her sister-in-law. And she said that Colette had told her, I give up. I don't want to do this anymore. Colette had even called, and this is sad, had called her mother when she found out that McDonald would be away on another one of these training missions during the last stages of what could be a dangerous pregnancy, her mother told her to wait till spring. Two days later, Colette was dead. Yeah. And then even after she was murdered, he had a healthy libido sleeping with Fort Bragg secretary as often as possible, even when accused of murdering his family. And he was on watch. Yeah, disgusting. Yeah. And so people are like, okay, what's up with this? Well, he said, well, I did step out on Colette. McDonald tells his visitor with a wet of his lips, none of which I am proud of. Then in a cascade, the explanations tumble out. I don't think they were real girlfriends. They were one night stands. I never had a love affair with anyone where we planned weekends away or uh, divorce. I wore my wedding ring. It was the temper of the times. I like women and I wasn't thinking of the consequences. I had high testosterone among guys around me and people in medical school in the service. I wasn't doing anything unusual. It was 68 and 70. A lot of things were exploding. He then lowers his voice and adds, I essentially wasn't screwing around. It's not true. Colette had no fears or worries. There weren't any. Yeah, very odd. Mm -hmm. One of the ones where he went on his training, you know, he would often meet up with women. There's usually a group of them. And before he took one of them back to his room, um, he had a conversation with his wife and the woman was just sitting there. I mean, it was like conducting, and it was a conversation, like a good conversation with his wife right in front of this chick about the babies and everything. Like, how you doing? You doing okay? He didn't think that was cheating. You know what? He also, um, he taught at a school in UCLA about child abuse and recognition and treatment for child abuse which is interesting. That is interesting. Huh. He also taught on um, uh, CPR and mm-hmm. uh, resuscitation. That was so his- he would have known. So she wasn't stabbed in the chest. The knife was never in the chest. But while he's doing CPR, a uh, blood bubble comes out. So on top of all this crazy stuff that he's doing, Classmates described Helena Stokely as a disturbed, sad little girl who liked to make up stories to get attention. 
So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And during the time Posey said that she said the police were looking at her was actually when they weren't looking at her at all. They did later, but not at that point when he said that. She did leave town two months later to rehab between using heroin eight to nine times a day along with other dr drugs. She was diagnosed as a schizoid personality. Later, Posey took a lie detector test and flunked it. He admitted he wasn't sure that he had seen Helena that night and that maybe he had glimpsed a Mustang only in a dream two months later. Yeah. It's really weird. Mm. Yeah. Like and so reliable, consistent stories throughout this entire thing. Even the parents, oh, everything was fine. We never saw them fight. Da, 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 da. And then their interview changed to, yeah, she kept crying the last time we saw her, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody changed their story. And I think, you know, when you think back to that time, divorcing your husband was like a no-no. Most parents would say, no, you need to stay and work it out. You know, like most would do that. Today, we'd be like, get out of there now. You know, if he's got 15 girlfriends, you need to leave them. Although they did encourage, she got pregnant. Um, so they decided to go ahead and get married, came to talk to them, her parents, they were encouraging them to get an abortion um, because it would ruin his career. They were concerned. His family was like, no, 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 y'all get married, have the baby, da, da, da. So it was really weird dynamic with the- consultant. That is it. And that's a more liberal dynamic with her family then. Yeah. Huh. In the sixties, you know, mom, I was still a kid, but you didn't, Divorce wasn't something you, you worked it out. You just didn't get divorced when someone cheated. You're like in my Elena's getting Nancy. I am. Thank you. <laughs> I love this story. So we know that Stokely went back and forth several times, um, but often it was under tremendous pressure to say she did it by defense investigators and McDonald's supporters. And guys, if y'all do a Google search on this investigator and what all they did to her, um, it's very apparent why she kept saying she did it. So she told CID that she'd say anything just to get them off her back. They never matched her fingerprints or hair to anything. And we'll get into that one blonde um, uh, fake hair. Uh, and even more incriminating is when investigators folded McDonald's pajama top just so the 48 perfectly round holes lined up with the 21 ice pick wounds in Colette's chest. So during his trial, they stipulated McDonald or simulated McDonald's story of the pajama top and him fending off attacks. And the pajama top had long, jagged tears, not perfect little holes. Plus, in the demonstration, one of the uh, attorneys had ble a bleeding cut from the exercise, unlike McDonald, whose forearms had never been knit. Right. Helena also told the jury that she was too stoned to remember where she was at night. And then finally, McDonald testified at his trial. He choked up and was tearful on the stand. At times, he was so overwrought that he couldn't speak, which was way different than how he appeared on the tape the prosecution played when he'd been interviewed 10 years before. McDonald was stunned when it took the jury only six hours to find him guilty of second degree murder, which I think second degree fits because it wasn't premeditated. Yeah. of Colette and Kimberly, but first degree for Kristen because he yeah. could have stopped at that point. Um, yeah. He was even more stunned when the judge sends him to the maximum sentence. He was so arrogant that he even said, this is the best jury money can buy. So about the um, 
that's disgusting. But about all the different trials, so he, there was the Article 32 situation. Yeah. They um, acquitted him of that or, or whatever they did. Um, no charges were put upon him. Then um, years later, after Kassab relentlessly kept pursuing it, um, they went before a grand jury. The grand jury decided to go ahead. However, um, his attorney was very smart. He um, obviously objected and appealed based on um, double trial and the right to a speedy attorney. So then, so he's waiting to see if the appeals are gonna work. The appeals work. So he, there was gonna be no charges pressed. However, they then went to the Supreme Court um, the justice system went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court went ahead and allowed for the, um, the trial. So it's like he just kept going back and forth. And that wasn't the last time. It continued. He was actually out yeah. after being convicted. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, like you said, I mean, it kicked off appeals, protests of innocence. Um, I wanted to um, read you guys this account from the devil and Jeffrey McDonald's. It's, it's an article I found of bringing Helena Stokely back into it all again, because his friends hired a former chief of LA's FBI, Ted Gunnerson, a hundred an hour research, how they were with Helena. I mean, it was incredible. So it says fast. So he was within 24 hours. He told his employers, has your boy been railroaded to prove it? Gunderson enlisted Prince Beasley, who had not been prospering the last six years. First state of police had discovered him pass out drunk in the middle of an intersection because he was a cop. This led to his retirement from the Fayetteville force and hospitalization at a VA facility where he's diagnosed as suffering from progressive non-psychotic organic brain syndrome. Among the manifestations of his illness, doctors found there was confusion and confabulation, which means making up stories without realizing they're being made up. So this is a guy that believes Helena is telling the truth, and he was on one of the shows, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. The good news was that Beasley still had a line on Stokely, who had married and moved to South Carolina. Acting on this intelligence, Gunderson secured McDonald's approval to dispatch a Canadian psychic, the notion that being her Paranormal powers would put Stokely on an airliner. Stokely proved resistant, however, even after the psychic told her that she'd fallen in love with McDonald and that the psychic could foresee a beautiful life for her if she aided in clearing his name. With Stokely temporarily out of the picture, Beasley turned his attentions to her husband, a violence-prone hippie named Ernie Davis, who at the point was residing in the Fayetteville jail thanks to an assault charge filed by his wife. According to Davis, Beasley presented himself at the lockup and promised to post bail and fly him to L.A. All Davis had to do was promise to tell Beasley and Gunderson what they wanted me to about the McDonald case. I mean, these guys were sleazy. Soon enough, Davis was in L.A., where after more sweeteners like the prospect of a book movie deal, he signed his statement repeating the incriminating claims Stokely had made since the killings. Gunderson, however, still wanted Stokely, but they couldn't find her. He found the means, or she wouldn't cooperate. He found the means when Beasley discovered that Davis, whose total remuneration, remuneration had been $21 for a bus ticket, had jumped bail, was in South Carolina with Stokely. They tracked them down, slapped Davis in handcuffs. On the way back, 
Davis let it slip that he'd blabbed to Gunderson this commencement of fight, concluding that Stokely offered to tell all. Not pausing even to pick up a change of underwear, Beasley whisked Stokely to LA to begin five days of near round the clock interrogation. Homer Young, an ex-FBI agent assisting Gunderson, later told the uh, Bureau that there had been, quote, an element of duress in Stokely's questioning and that his boss had employed, quote, unethical means and tactics in a very important case. The methods, though, got results, assured that she'd be resettled in California with a new house job and identity, even a part in the forthcoming movie, Stokely signed a statement not only implicating herself in the murders, but naming five other killers later referred to as Black cult members as well. Oh, yeah. So I guess she had been threatened with 40 years in jail, and she told was told that any statement she made would be for use in the movie. She didn't think it was going to be for the trial. She thought it was for the movie. And so she was offered 20% of any movie uh, proceeds and reaffirmed her role and added another killer named The Wizard. So the prosecutor, Brian Murtaugh, he said, if you put everybody in the room who has confessed, you'll have no room for Jeff. Like it was so many people. Um, Everything pointed to Jeff. Well, uh, and she recanted. And I guess the prosecutor said, you know that if you confess to this, he may get off. We're going to arrest you and you're going to go to jail. So she decided not to testify for McDonald. But her decomposing body was found in a low rent South Carolina apartment complex. She was only 30 years old. She and her baby were living on peanut butter sandwiches. Her cause of death was acute pneumonia and cirrhosis of the liver. Um, they just hounded her. And I think it, I think they should be punished for what they did to her. Um, so then, uh, McDonald's only hope in his appeal in the fourth circuit court was Kathy Perry, who was Helena's friend. She had confessed that she was also there. So now you got like, you know, what, 15 people. Uh, but much of the story was wrong. They didn't have any details of the murder. Correct. She was diagnosed as a schizophrenic, and once on proper medication, she denied any knowledge of the crimes. And then later, the FBI was able to corroborate the alibis for all the supposed accomplices, including one main character who actually was in jail at the time of the murder. But here's where even the captain and Nick didn't have this one figured out, but I found out. So it appeared that the defense had found new evidence to support the blonde hippie in the floppy hat, okay? So the defense asked to see the evidence that the prosecutors had. And inside one cardboard box, they found an envelope labeled black slash black and gray root slash synthetic hairs. Then inside there was another envelope marked synthetic hairs blonde and inside that envelope was a 22 inch long blonde colored synthetic strain of saran is that how you say it um that was recovered from a hairbrush of colette's and just one strand one strand and so now they're like see we've been saying there was a blonde hippie in the house and now you found this hair and why didn't we have this evidence to begin with Right. The brush would probably be like, yeah, I don't think so. Well, the lab determined that this was actually not hair for human wigs. It was hair for doll hair. 
That's right. Which makes total sense. Little yeah. kid in your mom's brush. Okay. Yeah. But here's what's funny. The government attorney said, quote, unless the defendants want to maintain that Ken and Barbie did it, I don't see how this helps them very much. <laughs> so finally, the justices agreed and ruled at some point, you must accept this case as final. So far to date, the only DNA found in the house matched McDonald and his family. In an interview, he broke down talking about what had been done to him. And the most prolonged coming apart when his when he recounted finding my baby Christy, the little the dimpled little girl that his accuser said in court they'd laid on his lap, and as she gazed up at him, hands outstretched, stabbed thirty times. When McDonald heard that in court, his body shook, his face turned red, he pounded the table, pulled his hair, bit his fist, as if lost in deathless grief. The problem: there's never a tear. All right, psychology. So what do you think? We got self-righteous, disappointed, economic, paranoid. Paranoid? Just one second. So one of the things the psychiatrist, psychologist, and even his own family members kept communicating, this will go into the the four um, ones, is that he constantly had to be the best, um, smartest, smartest, um, most clever. Um, the way he was perceived was insanely important to him. The best family. Yeah. The best everything. And so I don't think he fits in any of them. Go because, over because I don't think he meant, I think it was a rage. I think it was the drugs, the lack of sleep, his narcissistic psychopathic tendency. Um, so the self-righteous, they blame the crimes upon their spouse, the mom of the children for the breakdown of the family, disappointed. They believe the family has let them down or acted in ways that undermine or destroy his vision of an ideal life, which maybe, maybe. Um, anomic is the economic aspect, but he was doing fine. And a paranoid is an external threat, like from social services or the legal system, which he didn't have. No, the only thing I could see maybe an afterthought blaming the family, um, I could see, but again, that goes with his personality of just, well, she shouldn't have done this. Or if the baby wouldn't have been here, I wouldn't have done that. But that's total He'll never speculation. It. When he had his parole hear hearing, they said, we don't care if you think you're innocent. We need to you admit this. Or and he wouldn't, and he refused to do it. Yeah. And I think that his his wife had enough of him, you know, yeah. spreading his seed all over the place, making her look bad too. Here she is, pregnant with her first boy, and these two little girls. And I think she had had it. They because mm -hmm. of that trip, they got in a huge fight. And he being the little punk that he is, beat her to death and then accidentally killed his one daughter, murdered his other one, and they made it all look like a crime. I think he was a spoiled little brat and he probably died in prison. You know, they just had a, a hearing for him um, because after 40 years in some states, that's a life sentence. And you can use the defense of uh, you're unhealthy you have a little bit of life left. He's 77. He has to do kidney dialysis. They said, oh, poor that, thing. Uh, that he won't live but three years. Your husband's good. Dead. 
and uh, but they but they uh, denied yeah. it. Oh. So he was the youngest, and his and his mom's relationship was very interesting. You mentioned that, and that when she was told no reaction or something. I'm sorry, you almost got taken out by her mom. Oh, right. Blanket, but so yeah, so Kasab um, met Kasab and his wife Colette's mom met with. Jeffrey's mom mm-hmm. and for two hours explained to him to her what he felt occurred what was going on what was wrong why he felt Jeffrey did the murder she sat there silenced the entire time two hours she got up said thank you I believe walked out that was it wow um, but yeah they had a very interesting relationship I could see him being the baby um, so always or two, yeah. Can't, can't fail, best kid ever, best son ever. Yeah. However, he strived to be as well. And you know what's interesting is like he they married because she was pregnant. Xavier mm-hmm. married his pregnant girlfriend. It wasn't his kid. Didn't Chris and Shannon marry because she was pregnant? I think they did. I'm gonna have to look back at my notes, but I think. I, I do remember looking at a wedding dress to see if you could tell. I thought it was in my notes. I'll look back, but that seems to be, you know, I'm glad Mike didn't murder me. You know, like I was pregnant when we got married. I mean, if he starts talking about stuff, like it'd be better if we we're all dead. I will be heading to Texas. Right. So you guys know. And just so he knows, we pack down here. So he can try to come here. The problem is he does yeah. too. Yeah take out the whole family but he will not be successful so you guys have been you know great with this little mini series and i am thank you sherry mother did you hear that yes let that soak in no i had more to my my compliment is it the fact that i have this speaking of texas this pimple here thanks to the facial that needs its own zip code that even with the the zoom filter it stands out like its own state. And so you guys were great in that y'all did not, you know, point that out. And so me, I just need to point that out that y'all didn't point that out. I don't see I, it. I saw it. I don't see and I, it. I, I didn't want oh. to do it right from the beginning. You know, that usually happens after a facial, but it doesn't happen. And I'm also flaking. Like what kind of facial had, did you she have? She had her very first microdermabrasion. So I feel like a reptile losing its skin. So anyway, all right, well, I need to go train, but is there anything else that, I mean, y'all, as far as, I mean, my final verdict, he's guilty of sin. I'm glad he's in jail and I hope he dies there. What about you guys? Absolutely. Um, Real quick, when he was convicted, um, it, through appeals, he went up again, was released for quite some time and then was, I don't know if he was convicted again, but he was put in jail again. It's like, it just keeps going back and forth. Yeah, I do. I do believe well, like the justice has said at some point, we just have to call it done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is done. Yeah, yeah but when right. he gets out, which he might, doubtful, it'll all be brought up again. And when, or when he dies. Well, it's a fascinating one like Watt and Manson and Mm-hmm. Of course, man. I don't know which was. I think they're both just as bad. Yes. Sharon was 
pregnant. I, oh, I see what you're there's saying. There's no comparison, but a lot of and those. They annihilate they families. Die, yeah, once they die, it seems there's more publicity, more movies, more yeah. documentaries. Yeah, I definitely think he did it. I and I'm usually not hard, hard, you know, without like smoking gun or pictures, but. Yeah. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? Okay. And, uh, Mom, you guys have fun looking for creepy mannequins to dress up like creepy little girls from a creepy movie. I'm hoping he already went. No, he we'd wants like, he, we'd that like together. Pictures. We want pictures of y'all shopping well, spree. You know, no. the house is full, as you know. So I thought, you know, this would be a time we'd go eat and we can do something together. Oh, yeah, so that's what I think of. I'm like, oh, hey, Mike, let's go look for mannequins to decorate. And the he says, oh, that'd be good because I don't see you enough. You're working all the time. People are there. We'll go look. And But did you say, what would you like to do? No. We can do anything you want because that's you. No, he was telling me his plans for the day. Ah. So I'm hoping he went. No, he's saving it for you. You're That's taking a lot of I mean, I, I could I see bonding over buying creepy mannequins of creepy little girls from a creepy movie. 